Give your holding my hands. Give your holding my heart when all this fall is coming with the dying leaves, the crying birds, the morning rings. There's nothing to fear inside your nothing to tear with you in me Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. The song you just listened to is by evolutionary biologist Pedro Marquez Zacarias, who is my guest today. In the second part of our conversation, Pedro argues that biology cannot be reduced to physics and has to be explained using new theory inspired directly by life. But how can biology have its own separate laws when it emerges from physics? 
and what kinds of new underexplored theories of cycles and relations promise to lead there. We discuss the cultural and authoritative tension with physics that arises from these new autonomous theories. Does evolution invert the causal chain to create order out of disorder? And does our scientific reasoning of causal chains versus loops map onto our religious cosmologies of a linear universe such as the Christian one versus a cyclical universe such as the Hindu one? I share my first LSD vision of the causality of the world, a sea of snakes eating each other's tails, and Pedro explains why he's skeptical of current approaches to looking for extraterrestrial life. One of the things that interests me, like, what are the, how did we adapt the things from, from physics just straight into into theoretical biology, and how this kind of translation can lose some of the essence that you might need in biology, specific to biology, that that physicists didn't think about when they developed their theoretical tools, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I'm very very interested in in working more mm -hmm. um for instance uh the this idea that well there's so many things that we can talk about um on on that topic but uh the idea that everything that we can see and explore in science could be reduced to physics mm -hmm. uh to me that's bizarre and maybe when i started my career i will would have agreed with that, but now the more and more I've been interested in biology, I think that there's there's so many things that you can only explain at the biology level mm -hmm. and have no underlying more basic explanation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously, if you ask a lot of people, and I would say most people, they will say, oh, well, no, in reality, there's some law, some big equation that mm -hmm. uh, allows you to predict the behavior every quark every gluon every whatever and that then allows to predict molecules and then uh, cells and then human bodies and then human societies and so on and so forth right mm -hmm. the economy everything history mm -hmm. art culture and i just think that's bizarre mm -hmm. so that's what we call reductionism right and uh, it's kind of a very gross representation of reductionism but that's kind of the way to really see the contrast versus the other yeah, the idea that is that you need to explain things at the level that you're mm -hmm. observing. Mm -hmm. You need to explain economy at the economy level. You need to explain culture at the cultural level. You need to explain biology at the biology level, etc. Mm -hmm. There's no way to, mm -hmm. there's no easy way to go across. Mm -hmm. Like it's very, very hard. Yeah. I think also that once we start to develop new concepts at new new levels, for instance, economy, Economy has no, there's no gene for economy. There's no physiology for economy. It has its own existence at some level that is higher than, or not higher in the sense that it's more important or more relevant, but it's different level than the level that you explain physiology, mm -hmm. right? Or genes or something like that. So to me, the reason why we need, we also 
need more concepts is because our common language and our common sense are telling us that we need new concepts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we cannot explain everything with the same kind of boring uh, building blocks yeah. or atoms or things like that. Yeah. So I think a good place to start is what you brought up. And I was thinking about this. Um, so I, I originally come from physics. Of course, I have a real huge ego about physics. So like, yeah, of course, everything is physics. And so I'm reading yeah. what you said um, in the email. You said, as a biologist, you thought, I thought life was a special case in a lifeless physical world. The more I learn biology and physics, I think that biology is more general and physics is the special case. If somebody ever comes up with a model or artificial life form, it needs to contain physical models within. The opposite is not true. Physical models start lifeless and remain lifeless no matter how complicated. So biology is normal physics plus something else. Physics is normal physics and nothing else. So I was thinking about this a little bit confused. Like, yeah, okay, so physics is normal physics. Biology is normal physics plus something else. Does that mean that biology is the more special case? Because all of it contains the physics. And then maybe biology has something a little bit extra. So that still makes it a little bit more particular. I'm just trying to kind of no, catch that in the of sense that Yeah. Yeah, no, in the sense that, um, like, but this generality versus uh, special case, let's say we have a theory of biology, right? Within that theory of biology, we, we, we will need to reconcile everything that we know about physics, right? Everything from quarks to whatever else, any, any other level of physics. Um, so then you, you need that core. Uh, but not as the foundation of biology, but you need the compatibility with that, but you also need something else. So in that sense, you have a bigger universe of explanations. Mm -hmm. You can explain both the things that we already know from physics, but yeah. you also need to explain everything else. So it is a bigger um, uh, theoretical framework yeah. if you were to develop or to get to that point, right? Yeah. Um, I'm also not saying that biology is like the ultimate grand explanation of things. Mm -hmm. As I was just saying earlier, mm -hmm. we will need other things for economy and for that might live in a disjoint mm -hmm. explanation, explanatory world. Mm -hmm. I think culture and so society, I think they will, they will not be contained within or outside. It will be just a different world, mm -hmm. I think. But um, within, let's call them hard sciences for the sake of simplicity. I think biology, if we were to really try to develop theoretical biology, it'll need to contain physics within. Um, and all the, all the theoretical physics, um, like the, the, the big theories of physics, they are always lifeless. They never explain or they never tried to explain from the beginning what life is or what life does. Uh, so they were very well suited for whatever they tried to explain, right? And at that point, but it's only very recently that we've been trying to adopt some of the tools from theoretical physics into biology, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of the wrong approach. We we need we need the nature and yeah we need nature out there to tell us 
which tools do we need to develop, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Mm -hmm. We don't need to start with a tool and say, okay, mm -hmm. what does this tool allow me to do? We need to see out there and say, okay, look at that tree, look at that animal. Mm -hmm. Okay, it is what it is. So because it is what it is, what do I need to do to understand it, mm -hmm. right? And we have not been doing that. We've been just taking the tools just like a hammer and finding nails uh, and the hammer being yeah. physics, right? And within physics and theoretical biology, the, the classical models that we use are derived from, from Newton, yeah. who had no idea about, he, he didn't even have idea of what was the nature of planets, right? He could just observe the beha behavior of planets and other celestial bodies and came up with this wonderful idea, which I think is great. Um, but I think it's great to explain things like that, mm -hmm. things like moving planets in um, with no anything super extra complicated, right? Um, and back then, like pretty soon, people already started to find limits to some of these theories, like the tree body problem, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem of how precise you need an initial condition to be or so many things that seemed quite artificial from the framework, not not that out there in nature, you suddenly will see that planets start to destabilize and like find this chaotic behavior because suddenly uh, their initial condition was not the precise one or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So you start to find so many things that seem very specific, very peculiar about these theories, which we don't really see much of a counterpart in nature, right? Uh, in the early 90s, around the times of the Jurassic Park movies, for instance, a lot of people were talking about chaos theory, mm -hmm. right? And how the flap of a butterfly wing would trigger a tornado somewhere else, right? Th that was trying to say that, okay, because we observe this in our theories, like this chaotic behavior and like a sensitivity to initial conditions or perturbations in a dynamical system will cause this massive change somewhere else in the in the behavior of the dynamical system we again were going in the wrong 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 direction we were trying to take the theories and then impose it onto the nature right imposing it by saying okay yeah this little change that you do here in your room will cause an economic collapse in the markets of Europe tomorrow or something. Mm. I'm just making up things, right? But but again, you see that instead of seeing the world and say, okay, what do I need theoretically and experimentally or in any scientific means to explain the world? We said, okay, because we have this theory, uh, let's find it in nature. Let's And then we found very good uh, analogies and things that really sparked the image imagination of people uh, but I don't think that's the correct approach especially in biology mm -hmm. like, I think in biology so many things that we don't really understand are because we've been using the wrong tools mm -hmm. and uh, the wrong approach to start to even start asking them right yeah so uh, uh, even the question yeah. of what is life yeah already already assumes that life is something mm -hmm. right what like, what is what is the life but I think a much better question would be, why is life? Like, why alive things are alive, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Why asks for a cause of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Why why does it rain? Oh, because this and that and that. Why does it blah, 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 right? In biology, we've been asking what. And because 
around the time that uh, pretty soon after uh, Schrodinger wrote this this mini book based on his lectures of what is life pretty soon after then we discovered DNA the structure of, of the DNA and everyone was talking about the code of life and DNA is something tangible something that you can manipulate in the lab now and clone things and make new genes and do all these things suddenly almost all of biology became about the thing about the DNA yeah. or the proteins or the genetic code right so then the what of what is life became very prominent okay now we can touch it we can mm -hmm. manipulate it so now it is an it mm -hmm. the life many people started to equate almost life with dna and even to this day um so to me that's again the wrong approach and the wrong question and yeah you were gonna say something sorry yeah right no, no, no. too much <laughs> yeah i feel like you have like a very anti-authoritarian um way of thinking about these problems which is really threatening my physics ego right now <laughs> but um, one of the things that i wanted to respond to that kind of caught my attention is so you were kind of talking about the different levels of explanation and so uh, there's something happening at the physical level and then there's emergent phenomena on top of that that is happening at the chemical level and then there's uh, something happening in the chemical level and there's emergent phenomena on the biological level and within the biology there could be like i don't know certain sufficiently evolved uh, species that have like this neural networks or whatever and so they have their brains and then there's whatever dynamics is happening inside their brains is like emergent phenomena on top of that and then they get together and then there's social dynamics like e economy and whatever. And so you could presumably imagine a, the kind of chain of causality that floats up from one layer to another. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really help us in describing what's happening at the top layer because predictability and certainty is lost in each of these. Um, well, I mean, certainty is lost first because measurement precision is not infinite. You don't know exactly what every quark, proton, and gluon is doing. And the other reason is lost is that there's so much like complexity. Like chaos theory kind of talked about this as well, is that you start to lose, like things start becoming uncertain very quickly, even though your system may not have any intrinsic randomness in it. So... The laws that can be very precise in governing the behavior at the level of particles, even if they tell you that this thing is deterministic, it still leaves like a big question mark about what is really happening on top levels. And so um, now you're talking about something else that's not trying to derive the top levels from like a bottom up. Uh, following a chain of causation, but trying to see the, like, you know, let's say the level of the biology, you look at the observations in the level of biology and try to create like a self-sufficient explanation framework in that level. And that's kind of interesting to think about because like, for example, like a physicist would say, how would you expect there to be 
a whole other framework there when I'm already telling you that what is happening there is emergent phenomena from the bottom level. And so you can't find anything new there that's different. Like we already know where it's coming from, but we just know that we have like limited power of predicting it because every time you take a step up in the emergent phenomena, things just become like really complex. Um, you can see like simple uh, uh, ways that this happens. For example, you, you, I'm sure you know about John Conway's Game of Life. So you know the update rules and the up and no nobody's arguing that you know there's some other spooky thing going on that we don't know it's just the update rules but knowing just the update rules doesn't make you immediately aware of what uh what the emergent phenomena is going to be unless you explicitly compute it or in in this case what this maps to is you just observe the universe unfold and you're like oh okay mm -hmm. I knew the update rules and this is how it manifests, but there are no laws really, at, there are no separate laws at the level of this emergent phenomena. The laws are just their reductionist laws. Um, and people would say, well, what else are you expecting there? And, you know, we've got the update rules and just watch it unfold. So that is sort of my question that I'm trying to, Post to you is what kinds of laws would you expect at the level of biology? I mean, they can't be something that's completely independent of the laws that are coming from physics. Are these are okay? Okay. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is that um, when you come down to the level of like really simple physics systems everything is so constrained and controlled like there may be like three particles doing something very well defined that you have the luxury sometimes of exactly predicting the state of the system so that's where a lot of this confidence comes from in the physics laws in that the domain in which you apply them sometimes are precise and controlled enough that you can exactly predict the entire uh, behavior of the system as you go up the chain into like more and more emergent phenomena, it becomes hard to like exactly predict what is going to happen. So that's where the question comes in is like, what kinds of laws or principles are you talking about? Are they going to be able to do exact prediction? Maybe probably not. Or are you talking about general kind of organizing principles? And are you thinking of developing these general organizing principles? Let's say you're talking about biology at the level of biology. And then at some point, someone might be interested in connecting them to the laws of physics, but you want to do your kind of like own independent thing. So, yeah. So I just yeah. have like a bunch of vague points and questions, but I, yeah, I hope yeah, you no, understand what I'm trying to like get at here. Yeah. And they're vague for a good reason, which is that, we have not developed a good scientific language to talk about this um, tension yeah. because it is a tension between having this um, this world where we're comfortable with simple laws or simple rules that then make very complicated behavior, right? Yeah. You mentioned um, James Conway's Game of Life, and that's a very good example. I, I also really like the work of Stephen Wolfram mm -hmm. and how, you know, you have what they call computational uh, irreducibility, right? You need to run the program to actually know what's going to happen at mm -hmm. time n, right? 
and then the other principle that he developed is the uh, 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 computational equivalence, which yeah. is like sufficient sufficiently com complexity. Yeah, sufficiently like, complex oh, yeah, com program. Yeah. Sufficiently complex programs are equivalent to each other, mm -hmm. in a sense, meaning that one of his solar automata is as complex as the world that you see, right? Mm -hmm. That's when a kind of strong implication. But um, so, and then the other one is, uh, okay, if you have uh, rules at some level and then you start going higher up, then it just becomes so blurry that mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to, to do any prediction, right? Uh, now, the thing, I think Wolfram went a step beyond what we already had and that's why he also caused some strain and some conflict within the physics community mm -hmm. but but he's still limited in the sense that um, the rules of the game of life or the rules of any stellar automata are still baked in right you need to define them mm -hmm. somehow and you put them and then you let the thing go in biology, the rule there are no rules. And when you asked me about do you intend to develop laws or whatever, I don't think we're ever gonna develop laws in biology, mm. in the sense that you understand a law in physics. Mm. In in physics, in traditional particle physics or like the regular physics, once you have a law, then the law doesn't change, and the in the elements that behave in your the dynamical system, mm -hmm. also they don't change how they interact with other particles or other things in, in the system. So to me, it's funny sometimes to think about dynamical systems because to me, they're not very dynamical. Once you define a dynamical system with boundary conditions, with, with initial conditions and with, with the law, with the dynamical law itself, it doesn't change. Mm. Like you draw the, the face space of the face portrait mm -hmm. of the system. That's the picture of the whole system. Nothing mm -hmm. else can happen. Mm -hmm. The whole world is contained in that face portrait. In biology, that's impossible, even at small level, mm -hmm. at small molecular levels. Like all the elements in a biological system all the time are changing mm -hmm. uh, the way they interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And you see this in cells, you see this in organisms, you see this when you meet a new person, like we're meeting yeah. here for the first time. It's like the, the first epitome time. of a not closed system. I exactly. Guess, like, so we are meeting here for the first the time, time. Yeah. and there was <laughs> no law to, to describe how would we interact, right? So that's why in biology, I don't think we're going to find these mm -hmm. kinds of laws. Mm -hmm. We, I think what we can aim to find is explanations for things, but sometimes explanations in the biological sense are uh, kind of disappointing or insufficient for, uh, for some physicists. But uh, to me, for instance, a good explanation uh, of, of, of the changes that we see in, in the biosphere was evolution, mm -hmm. right? The evolutionary theory. And when you go and see Darwin, he never wrote a single equation. Mm -hmm. uh, he later uh, lamented that he didn't know enough math to put uh, any math in his books and his work. But I think that was actually a good thing mm -hmm. that he didn't know math. Mm -hmm. Because to me, sometimes once you start trying to quantify something that is inherently qualitative then you lose you lose yeah. that thing that you're trying to explain right yeah if it, you it enter hinders a, your explanation more than it helps it if you enter in a in a gallery in an art gallery and yeah. then take pictures of all the 
paintings and then quantify every possible Dude, can thing I tell you can. something and, and, now? And, I, and people have yeah, done this. I recently went to a vision science conference and some of the mm -hmm. presentations there were about this. Is They would take mm -hmm. like works of art and then they basically tried to pin down what is it that people are finding aesthetic. And then they would have some mm -hmm. kind of conclusion. And yeah, yeah this, I think I can tell you this now. It's a little bit hard to explain to some people. They would even mm -hmm. take things like the faces of people and do some kind of measurements to find out what faces do people think are beautiful and mm -hmm. gates of people, how they walk, and then they do some like thing. Mm -hmm. And I think in the past, I would have been like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. And uh, now there's a part of me that I can't really explain to people. Why? But I think this is kind of like defeats the point. Like, okay, sure, you can go ahead and do it. But what really is the point of that? Like, are you not missing the thing in trying to quantify it? It's like mm -hmm. the, the thing that makes this, I haven't really ever been able to articulate this very well, but the thing that you're trying, the reason that you're interested in is there's this mysterious thing called like beauty in the thing that you're looking at. And the essence of it is that there's something kind of surprising and, 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 and mysterious about it. And then you go and try to find all of these numbers. And to the extent mm -hmm. that you can do that, you're actually taking away that sense of mystery. And then once it goes away, it's going to go away somewhere else where you haven't yet reduced it. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you can. You, you can go ahead because you can do that, I guess. You can make those measurements then, so why not would be the question. Mm -hmm. But to me, I feel like some things you should just like leave them alone. <laughs> it's like trying <laughs> to explain every joke. Like if you, you mm -hmm. can probably go ahead and do it, but the point of the joke was the humor and then it's lost when you explain mm -hmm. it. So, uh, yeah. I, Absolutely. I uh, yeah. You know, and, and there much more uh, many more examples of this mm -hmm. with huge consequences like surveillance for instance mm -hmm. a lot of face recognition software and all that and it's like okay who's prone to commit a crime or something mm -hmm. like that and there's many papers of this and usually and and this is another interesting observation is that many of these departments computer science or these types of departments they have very little education focus on social issues mm -hmm. or uh, any any basic understanding of what are the social issues but they do have a high training in algorithms and face recognition and all that that's the perfect storm to mm -hmm. make a very silly software mm -hmm. that is going to tag you as a potential uh, i don't know something something and then you're going to be targeted mm -hmm. by this surveillance system that we already have right mm -hmm. And this has happened already in many cases. And to me, that's one of the actual real dangers. Mm -hmm. Not only are they trying to quantify something that's not quantifiable, but they're, again, targeting people for no absolute reason. Mm -hmm. um, well, that, that was another, one point. The other point that you mentioned that I think is very, very important is the measurement problem that exists in every science, even in physics at the most fundamental level, mm -hmm. let's say the quantum level, right? Um, and in biology, that's also a huge problem. 
And the thing, the tradition that started with the discovery of the DNA and even earlier than the discovery of DNA, but that's kind of a, a phase transition again, is that you, to understand a cell, you have to take it apart and list all the genes that it has, list all the proteins that it has, list all the ions, molecules, channels, membrane, etc., etc., all the material aspects of the cell. And now understand them individually mm. and somehow you'll... Uh, you'll recover mm. the knowledge about the cell, mm. right? I think that that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Like, because, and then biology, molecular biology, it, it's it's a, it's an interesting name because molecular biology may, makes no sense because molecules are not alive, right? Mm. So then saying that you're studying biology in molecules mm -hmm. uh, is quite strange mm -hmm. uh, but molecular biology for instance had a huge um, a huge uh, jump in in funding and in every possible aspect within within the sciences because the DNA seemed something so tangible mm -hmm. and then we understood the genetic code and it just made sense right mm -hmm. so now we have the secret code of everything we see mm. and we're still in that phase. Like we, to this day, we are still listing all mm -hmm. genes, all proteins. Back then it was like we sequencing one gene, you could do a PhD and become a professor. Mm -hmm. Now you need to sequence billions and billions in genes sometimes mm -hmm. uh, to get one paper, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, to me, we have, and, and then there's this, this other tension of generating just so much data, but so little principles. Yeah. Like, we haven't been developing any new fundamental principles as natural selection, for instance, was a huge mm -hmm. new principle, not just for biology, but for other things. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have we have done any anything relevant in the conceptual level, mm -hmm. but we are swimming in an ocean of endless data, yeah. data sets yeah. that, um, that I think... Um, uh, I was talking with a friend and he had the opinion that we have a lot of lots of theories and not enough data to explain biology and that's exactly the opposite of what I think I think we have so much data but f so little conceptual frameworks to study biology so that was the second point the measurement problem mm -hmm. um, because in biology to measure uh, a, a thing that is alive you need to first kill it <laughs> right which is, doesn't make sense yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. because n now it is not biology mm. um the other thing uh, that um that you mentioned but uh just uh, not very explicitly is this this thing about chaotic behavior and the lack of unpredictability mm. i don't think is due necessarily to the fact that you have so many levels and the more you you increase you start losing predictability. First of all, it ha has some very well-known theoretical basis that we were already discussing that sometimes, well, it depends how fine-tuned the initial condition or something was, mm -hmm. which is not something about nature, right? It's something about your theoretical framework. Mm -hmm. Like it's a limitation on your theory, not on the nature. So in, in fact, it's it hasn't really been shown in many examples chaotic behavior in nature like you do observe tornadoes and hurricanes and things like that but that's uh, actually a common part of any fluid dynamics right or atmospheres mm -hmm. it's not like it was a weird accident of some initial condition and a 
water molecule just came this way instead of the other and that caused the whole tornado no we know oh, very yeah. well but that i guess when you're talking with, about the butterfly flapping its wings mm -hmm. and things like that i think of that as a little bit more of a like a slightly exaggerated way mm -hmm. of um describing it um uh, but uh, I guess so. So the 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 technical thing is sensitive dependence on initial conditions, meaning that if mm -hmm. things were slightly different, the a couple of days later, its effect on the weather or whatever it has an effect on would be completely and unpredictably different than mm -hmm. if uh, the initial conditions were slightly different. I don't think it necessarily means that you know, small things would end up having like, you know, really big effects because there's like millions of small things going on for every like one big thing. So how can it be that every small thing causes a big thing and you would have to have like a million tornadoes for every time like a butterfly. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit hard to wrap our mind around exactly what that is. But uh, but, but again, yeah. you're trying to wrap your minds based on the theory and like yeah, yeah obviously the nature is telling you something else right so yeah, then... yeah. i mean so what i was going to say though is that i, I don't really think that there's a, a contradiction between the theory and like looking at nature i think the problem of the chaos theory is not that it sees anything weird in nature it just says that you won't be able to tell is is all that it's saying even though the 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 end products the phenomena i mean the word chaos is a little bit too strong i think because it feels like oh my god it's like chaos and carnage and catastrophe it's mm -hmm. not really that i mean it could be just like regular everyday stuff like you can talk about mm -hmm. the economy being like a chaotic system or whatever uh meaning that even if you forget about the uh, the probabilistic aspect of like bottom-up quantum mechanics Everything is deterministic, but we don't know what caused what. Like, we cannot trace back if things were slightly different. Um, but I personally still believe that, you know, it's still like a chaotic system. But what that means is that it's just very sensitively dependent on initial conditions. So if you were trying to predict it based on, like, this bottom-up laws of physics by exactly pinning down the initial conditions, that's not going to help us uh, predict it. Um, but I guess what you're trying to talk about is not trying to predict it forward in time like that, but have, I mean, first of all, one of the things that you said was that it's not a quantitative thing that you're going for. You're trying to go for some kind of a more qualitative thing, uh, which mm -hmm. I guess is not trying to take like bottom up things and predict forward in time, but yeah, I'm basically becoming curious about, you're saying that the, these things don't work. I'm really becoming more and more curious about what is your idea of what mm -hmm. framework or approach would yeah. be more appropriate? Yeah, well, is also, um, just before we go into this, um, it's, it's not like my idea. I said in the email, and I'm going to repeat it here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Quite a few people have thought of this, and probably the most, I think, relevant for this conversation is Robert Rosen. Mm -hmm. He was a theoretical biologist in uh, between the late 50s to the late 90s uh, when he died. And he understood physics and math pretty well. Mm -hmm. like he actually 
have a very strong education in math and physics. Mm -hmm. His advisor also, Nikolaj Rashevsky, he was also a theoretical physic physicist. And so they knew that language. They knew enough that language who that language that they wanted to later on mm -hmm. overturn, mm -hmm. right? Overturn for biology. Mm -hmm. So the thing about uh, explanations also is that when we want to understand the cause of things, we ask why, right? Yeah. Why this? Well, because of that. Well, in biology, I think the types of explanations that we want to find are harder than in physics because in physics, you usually have what you, and that was the third point I wanted to, mm -hmm. to talk about that you brought up, is what they call the chain of causation. Mm -hmm. And like you have A, B, C, D, mm -hmm. and it just becomes kind of a, like a chain, like a little literal chain of things that make other things happen and so on and so forth mm -hmm. at infinitum. So that's why in physics you always ex ex expect uh, predictions in the future because yeah. this, if there's a law and then mm -hmm. it's this dynamic law explains everything, it's always forward in time. Mm -hmm. Well, in biology, there's something fundamental that cannot be explained by chains, mm -hmm. which is that biology is fundamentally self-organized it has a lot of things that happen for the, a cell is alive for the sake of the cell. Nothing else, right? Of course, there's the environment. The cell needs to eat and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you have in biology a lot of things that are not chains of causation, but cycles of yeah. causation. Yeah. And that's one of the fundamental limits of the theoretical frameworks that we have. Because the theoretical frameworks that we have mm -hmm. doesn't allow to talk about cycles in this way mm -hmm. yes you have sinuses and other mm -hmm. functions that show periodicity but it's still moving mm -hmm. forward in time or backwards in biology you have cycles at every level biochemical cycles you learned this in high school right mm -hmm. uh, the craft cycle and many other cycles in biochemistry then you have the cell cycle then you have the reproduction of the cell is uh, the, the the cellular theory of life was that Every cell comes from another cell. Mm -hmm. That's, again, a self-referential statement. Mm -hmm. And uh, homeostasis, you have so many things fundamental to biology that are self-referential. And mathematics has never been able to deal with them. Like, actually, some of the classic paradoxes in mathematics and in physics come because you allow for this type of self-reference. Yeah. Right? When you say... I'm lying right now. Yeah. Like I'm talking about myself and I'm asserting yeah. something that not, if it is true, but... then <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. if it is true, then it, so it just becomes a riddle. Yeah. And that's been fundamentally uh, the case since ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, I don't know if you know a bit of the history between Hilbert and the Hilbert program in mathematics yeah. that they tried to axiomatize everything so that mm -hmm. there was no truth outside of mathematics. So no outside reference. Uh, but mathematics was like the thing to explain everything. Well, they failed miserably when when this back then young guy uh, Kurt Gödel yeah. came up with these un incompleteness theorems yeah. that he showed that no formal system is complete. And these are so. Long story short, mm -hmm. to say that the fundamental things in biology mm -hmm. are self-referential things and are cycles. Yeah. The fundamental things that physics can explain are not. Mm -hmm. So they basically linear things. Yeah. We talk about nonlinear dynamics, etc. But really, it's always moving forward in time. Never comes back to itself. Yeah. Now, this problem has been noticed for a while 
by different people. And probably the most famous were um, Francisco Varela and Humberto Maturana in Chile. He, they, they were very, very, very prominent uh, scientists, uh, neuroscientists, I will say. So maybe you know a bit uh, about them. And they, um, one of the things that they tried to put in words or in like a theoretical framework was this kind of mm-hmm. self-referential cyclic behavior of, of living beings. And they called that autopoiesis, auto-self-poiesis yeah. generation, self-generation. Yeah. So all biological systems, they said, have this, this behavior, autopoiesis. Yeah. Now they, they and also Francisco Ragala was also very good um, with mathematics. He tried to develop what he called the calculus of self-referential systems, which was basically a simple algebra, algebraic system to talk about self-reference, uh, which is kind of an obscure paper that not many people know. <clears throat> but the the point being that they recognized the fundamental limitation and they tried to come up with another framework. Well, Rosen and Roshevsky tried also to do the same from a very different point of view and that they call relational biology and which made use of a branch of mathematics, especially with Rosen, not with Roshevsky, but Rosen made use of a branch of mathematics called category theory, which is the mathematics of relations. So what does this even mean, relations? Well, it means that instead of focusing on what let's say the DNA is, mm-hmm. we need to study how the DNA interacts with, I don't know, proteins, with the ribosome to make proteins, with anything mm-hmm. else, right? So it is a fundamental change in the perspective because instead of caring about things, yeah. like caring about what life is or what the thing is, you you, you care about why. So why does the DNA interact yeah. with the ribosome? Why well, the messenger RNA with the ribosome to make proteins. So you care about ro- the relations instead of the entities because yeah, yeah. physics, particle physics and physics in general has taught us to think about the things mm-hmm. as entities. Mm-hmm. So for Rosen, it was like, we have this huge variety of life, millions of species, n- more than 99% of the species that ever lived in this planet are extinct now. So we're just seeing a small sample of what life has been in this planet, at least. So to explain this huge variety, we cannot focus on the entities because the entities are particular examples of some more general phenomena that we might call life. So that life that we want to explain cannot be found in a specific organism. So we need to develop a theory that tries to explain what happens in the in any organism in in this sense um, to make it more general so that's why they started to to do this type of uh, of theories called relational biology and it sounds a bit mysterious but it's as simple as saying instead of studying the things study the interactions between the things yeah. so now because you are able to put things in terms of relations between things then you are allowed to make these cycles yeah. for instance there there's um the most famous theory of Rosen is called the MR systems. In this uh, theoretical framework, you have that there's some elements of a cell that produce other elements. Let's say A produces B and B produces Z. Let's call C, uh, A, B, and C. And then C can produce A. Like we are allowed to do this in this theoretical framework. 
And then a way to ask a simple question is, okay, in this very simple system, just A, B, and C, um, and I'm just simplifying this argument, okay? Um, uh, then if you ask, why is A happening? Why is A behaving like it is? You can answer in a, in a variety of ways. One, you can say, oh, because C is affecting A. So C explains A in this sense. But you could also say, oh, because of B, because B causes C and then C causes A. But you, and, and then this is the, the, the crown of the argument. But you can also say A is A because of A, because mm -hmm. A is causing B and B causes C and then C causes A, but A was already there. So then A is an explanation of itself, right? Yeah, yeah. So now you are able to expand your theoretical framework to be able to talk about these things which you could not in, in other frameworks, right? So then in biology, then you could see how these very classic um, arguments or like the, the classic theory, uh, cell theory that says that any cell exists because of another cell, <laughs> it's a self-referential yeah. system. Well, that's the type of explanation that now Rosen allows us to talk about in very formal mm. ways. Like I did it in a very toy model example, but he explains the math and everything that it, it is needed. But you can see that now we can say, okay, A is A because of A, right? Yeah. In no magical way. It's, it's a very yeah. transparent, simple way. So I think, in I that think sense, it's like kind of um, simple um, to lay out and talk about this like self-referential and cyclical systems. But I feel like culturally to a lot of like the, like the physics people or whatever, I think this like makes them uncomfortable. Like there's this element Absolutely. of discomfort yeah. because... I feel like, I mean, I should not speak for them, but the part of me that feels uncomfortable is like, wait, but where does it all come from? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. if you just say that it causes itself, like, has it always caused itself? Or did something else start this cycle at some point and is it going to end? Or is it like always and forever, it just keeps causing itself? I mean, there's there's a hole in the middle of that circle. <laughs> it's like, wait, hang on. There's like... Where yeah. did it come from? You, you, pointed, it, yeah. you pointed at a very fundamental problem yeah. that I think is fascinating. Yeah. Because what was there before the Big Bang? Yeah. Nobody so far, we know scientifically nothing, right? Yeah. So it kind of the Big Bang caused itself. So somehow some physicists are uncomfortable with these cyclical arguments, but they accept, or most of them, that there was nothing before the Big Bang, right? Yeah. Now, to me, it's fascinating because it points out at something also as fundamental as the big bang which is that once a system is able to close the cycle of causality mm -hmm. now biology can start so to me the origin of biology is the origin of this cyclic causal no it's not a causal chain it's a causal cycle right once you have a system that is able to form the cycle i think now you could start biology yeah. now the other yeah very fascinating thing about this this framework that they use the category theory is that you can have in in a category which is like this framework instead of having things like in in set theory you have a set is a collection of things so you 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 care a lot about what are these things right have a set of socks in, in i don't know in my house or pants so then you you classify them okay this these are pants versus socks or something else in category theory, 
you have collections of what they call objects, but they, you don't really care about what's the object. Mm -hmm. Now, that allows you to do something interesting. Once you have, let's say, the simple system A causes B, B causes C, C causes A, so then mm -hmm. you have a cycle. Well, that could form its own, uh, that could be one object in another category. So then oh, you have yeah. that, let's say you have biochemistry. Let's say this cycle represents the Krebs cycle or something in the biochemical level. Now you could embed this inside a bigger system that is also cyclical. Mm -hmm, and let's mm -hmm. call that the cell cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously to make another cell, you still need the Krebs cycle and anything else below the cell level. That to me is very powerful because then you can start talking about uh, in uh, things like uh, life cycles. In biology, that's another thing that is fundamental, life cycles. And it's even in the name, life cycle. So you have a cycle of causality that makes a cell uh, make another cell. Or in the case of humans, well, the human makes gametes, then the gametes fuse, make the zygote, the zygote then grows into a baby, and then the baby grows into an adult, and it, it keeps repeating. It's again, uh, the this life cycle to me also is a fundamental unit of evolution, which some people have already tried to point out this, but uh, for different reasons. To me, the real reason is because that's kind of the higher cycle uh, beyond the cell level and the biochemical level, which we do have cycles inside these levels, but the life cycle is the level at which evolution actually acts. Yeah. If you don't have a life cycle, you don't have evolution or anything else, but still the current view of evolution is seeing evolution through the point of view of things. Of Actually, many many people define evolution as the change in gene frequencies in a population. So again, they are focusing on the thing mm -hmm. um, or the change of um, the individuals in a population. So again, in a thing which is an individual, mm -hmm. whereas the life cycle is not a thing. The life cycle is the reconstruction of what happens across the life cycle of, of an organism, right? Mm. So it's not the sperm, it's not the egg, it's not yeah, the cygote, yeah. it's not the I adult, see, see. it's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. So that whole thing is not a material uh, thing, yeah. right? And yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. some biologists, biologists uh, uncomfortable yeah, yeah. because you can't, you can't grasp it in non... the same way exactly. as you can grasp, as our human minds are accustomed to grasping things. Um, yeah. like objects in our minds, like, oh yeah, this thing mm -hmm. is a number. The gene frequency is a mm -hmm. number. We got it. We wrote it down over here. Yeah. We know what that is, yeah. but a cycle, what is that? Mm -hmm. Where do I grasp that? You know? Exactly. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, there are two things. And, that... and just, just before, yeah. just before we move on, but yeah. that, what you said is actually the heart of relational biology. Mm -hmm. Like one of the mottos of relational biology is throw away the matter and yeah. keep the organization. Yeah. That to me is fundamental, but is again, it's a very radical view. Yeah. Different yeah. From yeah. What I've been trained to do. Yeah. Actually, I'm starting to try to untrain myself yeah, in certain yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, not like forgetting everything because it's important to contrast, right? Yeah. But to me, to explain real life, yeah, you yeah. need to think about non-material things, but they're not mystical. They're not magical. They're like, they're real. They're as real as anything else because the other thing that, um, I've been reading, uh, I just started to read a book in neuroscience and they don't talk about relational biology, but they come up with similar ideas from a different background. And they say, 
something like, um, well, you know, a friendship, you have a friendship with with your friends and that's not a material thing, but it's as real as it gets. Like, yeah, but all relations, will say, what is that? <laughs> yeah, but is physicists will real? try to find, you know? yeah, we're trying to find some property in an atom that makes yeah. these two people make friends or whatever, right? Or how would uh, you even so, define no. what the friendship mm -hmm. is? Is it you, so a friendship yeah. is a relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. again, in, in relational biology, it's about relationships, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So that's the change of perspective that yeah. I'm gonna try to pursue in, in yeah. the future, and I'm saying in the future because. Right now, I'm not really working on that, but that's what I'm really interested yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's really cool because it's, uh, I mean, you're essentially talking about a paradigm shift and there's going to be a lot of challenge to this because people are accustomed yeah, nice. to a certain way of thinking. Um, and it's already like, I consider myself like a pretty open-minded person who's not just in physics and don't just hang out in physics. I do like biology and I try to listen to a lot of people um, and even I am sensing discomfort within me mm -hmm. as you're telling me these things, but I'm trying to locate what those sources of those discomfort are. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with like the culture of how we are trained, what we are trained to think in terms of in the last several centuries, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, so there are two things that came up in my mind as you were uh, talking about these things the first was a conversation that i had with my current advisor and i was just in his office and uh um so i was taking a course in neuroscience in which you like study some research papers and then you usually try to have those research papers connect with something that someone at the university is working on and then you bring in that professor as a guest to this discussion session and one of the students takes the charge of moderating that discussion and so I was in charge of moderating that discussion that had to do with research papers that came from him. And at that time, he was not my advisor, but I showed up in his office to just like kind of talk about what we would talk about. And we were talking about whatever we talked about, but on the side, we were just having like a little conversation about like evolution. And uh, I was saying, you know, it's kind of interesting about this thing. You were talking about like information and entropy and in closed systems in physics, you always have an increase in disorder. But in biology, it's really interesting because it's it organizes itself out of disorder into order over time. Like, what the fuck is going on there? Well, physicists would say, don't worry, it's like not a closed system, so we have nothing against it. Um, you, it's like, if you consider the whole universe as a closed system, it's still closed because some energy is being expended somewhere else. Like, we keep getting energy from the sun. So it's not against the second law of thermodynamics. Um, but the chain of causality locally is, well, okay, okay, so I should get to that. So I, this is just what I said to him. And he said, yeah, yeah, he kind of has like a philosophy for why this is happening. He was like, well, if you look normally, like the normal chain of causation is from the level of uh, particles to like a level of chemicals, chemistry, and then from then on to biology, and then from biology you have behavior. So this is the normal chain of causation that you think about. But what evolution does is it kind of turns it on its head because you have got certain kinds of behavior. And so he kind of works in the world of like natural systems, which are like he thinks of organisms as being systems in um, 
in some kind of like a interaction with the environment and so like what would the natural systems have to do in order to whatever so he was like so the the behavior is basically interacting with the environment and coming up with ways of behaving and being um that or like basically modulating the phenotype that will go back and end up increasing the frequencies of the genes that are causing that so in a sense the 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 there's like a loop of causality here mm -hmm. Like yeah. certain kinds of behavior are going back and like changing the frequency of the of the genes. So he was like, I think that there's this complexity that's emerging because the chain of causality, there's like a reversal of that. It doesn't go all the way back to physics. Like the biology mm -hmm. doesn't end up changing properties of basic mm -hmm. particles. Otherwise, mm -hmm. physicists would not be able to sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> but it does go back all the way to like the level of the distribution of like different genes. And so now you have some kind of a loop. And so because mm -hmm. there is this loop, what can happen is that the behavior at the level of the evolutionary selection is always trying to come up with, well, you know, it's kind of tricky to use teleological yeah to or, anthrop anthropomorphize but you understand yeah. what i mean you know it's always yeah, yeah. trying to come no, up with like cool yeah. strategies to defeat like the other strategy yeah, yeah. and in doing so it has to go back and modulate the information content in the genes and so you have this whole system which not yeah, yeah. because of the laws of physics but because of other mm -hmm. laws that are happening at a different level yeah. are being forced to become like more and more complex and interesting and yeah. without those, where would be where would we be? We would not be here today talking through Zoom. So yeah. that's something that's kind of interesting. The other thing that this made me think of is this contrast that we have been talking about in the two different ways of thinking. One is kind of linear, like a linear chain of causation, and mm -hmm. the other is shifting focus away from that into like cycles. And I wonder mm -hmm. if there is this is this idea is going to be like kind of out there, but it did come into my mind, is that our whole conception of the cosmology of the world also has this dichotomy. There are some cultures which think that the world is going from beginning to end. Like if you think of, mm. about Christianity, for example, like there mm. is a certain beginning, God created the world, blah, blah, and then there's going to be an eternity of either hellfire or like fun party time, mm. depending on whatever. But mm -hmm. there are other cultures in which it, it envisions the entire universe as a cycle. Like Hinduism, mm -hmm. for example, it sees the whole mm -hmm. universe as being like a, like a breathing cycle. Like the uh, universe mm -hmm. comes into being, it's like taking a breath in, and then it goes back into like the singularity or whatever, and then it comes back into being. And so yeah. if a culture begins with an acceptance or a notion that the whole universe is a cycle, they will, of course, be more comfortable with seeing cycles everywhere and not try to find what is the thing that started the cycle and when will it end it? It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense to them. The whole thing is yeah. like a loop. And yeah. But if there's a cycle that sees the whole cosmology and metaphysics of everything as a line, then it's going to try to find lines everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know, I mean, I guess this conversation is becoming a little too metaphysical, but I feel like it's the same human mind that's trying to fathom the entire universe as it is trying to fathom different particular questions. 
And so the inclinations that we have of thinking in different lines is definitely going to influence each other. Like if you're, if you're embedded in a culture that sees loops and self-referential systems as, oh, that's it, you don't question that, that's just a basic building block, then yeah. you would be comfortable with seeing that in all kinds of ex explanations. So I was just, you know, I don't know. That's just no, I think that's yeah. that's a very, very interesting thought because also many cultures in Mexico, many indigenous cultures, they had cycles mm -hmm. of time. Like uh, one of the fundamental cycles, I think, in the Mayan, Mayan or Aztec, one of the big ones mm -hmm. was like 52, each 52 years, there was like a big cycle. Yeah. And within the 52 years, you have the the year, the calendar year. Mm -hmm. And within the calendar year, of course, you have like the the time that you see, you plant, you do the agricultural things and dep depending on the type of the year you do different agricultural techniques and mm -hmm. things to grow corn and all that so everything was a cycle right mm -hmm. and as you said if you ask what's the beginning of a circle like there's no beginning there's no mm -hmm. no past no future like everything is part of the same thing but evolution what it includes is that the cycle doesn't remain the same the cycles change all the time like the, mm -hmm. the things that happen within the cycle change and that's what makes evolution also fascinating because you, the, and that's why also I think there's not going to be a law of biology because the law itself is changing and who, who's changing the law mm. well everything like is the thing that you were mentioning about evolution influencing like the frequency of genes and all that because it's higher level versus lower level that's what philosophers and other people call don't work causation mm. the don't work causation to me happens all the time in biology And um, the one of the strong fights that people have in don't work causation is that well, then a free will versus no free will, right? Like I, I, right now, I'm deciding to move my hand in this way, mm -hmm. like well, it, or to move my head this way, mm -hmm. like my higher level, like my whole body or consciousness or whatever you want to call it, is deciding for the muscle cells and the in all the things inside me to move this way, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that the ion channels in the current that between the muscle cells mm -hmm. and the nervous system decided me mm -hmm. or made me move my head, right? So this is kind of one of the very big discussions and fights about dong orchestration because people say, okay, one implies that there's free will, one implies that there's no free will, right? Yeah. I think that there is free will because of cycles. Like cycles make things have no her hierarchy. And I think what what you were saying about religion and all that has to do with hierarchy. Like in a very hierarchical system, then there's a fundamental level that everything else comes from. In a cyclic system, that's yeah. there, there's nothing like that. Like there's no hierarchy. There's no more important thing. Yeah. If you remove any element from the cycle, then the whole thing breaks and becomes a line, right? And the linear things are the yeah. things we don't I want to explain. I would push back a little bit, though. I think, it, it, you know, in today's world, when we think about religion, dominant religions have become like kind of hierarchical ways of thinking. But I think it is mm -hmm. possible for a certain culture to have a religion which aims to explain the world through cycles. And so that oh, doesn't yeah, yeah. necessarily have to be hierarchical. And in fact, yep. I think that I do see this as a distinction between, let's say, the Abrahamic religions, which sees mm -hmm. 
which is kind of linear in this that the universe is a consequence of a prime cause and the prime causes mm -hmm. god and nothing caused god you know mm -hmm. to even say something like what caused god is heresy and mm -hmm. but there are other kind of like religions which see mm -hmm. the universe as constantly causing itself and and yep. so therefore if it is causing itself it sees time as eternal and yep. you know so so I feel like that is still a religion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I didn't phrase that, yeah. uh, but I was following your previous yeah, yeah, thoughts yeah. between between the two types of religions. Yeah, yeah. So I was referring to the more Western yeah. Christian. Yeah. Um, or whatever but I, I feel like given the cultural context that we are embedded in, to think of a religion that says, man, it's causing itself, it's mm -hmm. like, it's a mindfuck. <laughs> <laughs> to a lot of people like yeah. well, what are you saying and it like it kind of destabilizes and threatens a lot of people because we, mm -hmm. we, there's nothing that you can like grasp that's at the root yeah. of um root of everything and in fact let mm -hmm. me tell you like a personal little experience mm -hmm. here uh so the first time in my life that i tried lsd i had like a very strong trip and mm -hmm. i remember i was in my room at night, not ideal conditions to do a strong dose of psychedelic. I couldn't go out and everything was dark. So rather than having a lot of like external stimulus, like I would ideally like to be out in nature during the daytime. But instead of that, I was like locked in my head. And I've always mm -hmm. had a lot of like philosophical tendencies to just think about why and where everything is coming from. And so I got really kind of like locked into that. And I started, or like, I kind of had a vision. So, you know, when I was young, from a very young age, my questions were, what is this world? Mm -hmm. Where is it coming from? And what is causing everything? And that's why I got into physics. From a very young age, I was really interested in just learning about what this world is. And so my inner desire from a young age was to find out what is at the root of all of this. And from a very young age, I had kind of discarded religion as being like a fruitful thing. I was like, no, 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 let's just focus on the science. But the thing that I was imagining that I was hoping for, the holy grail, is that there's something at the bottom of all of this, like the physicists mm -hmm. think about, you know. Um, I'm in fact reading this book by Steven Weinberg called Dreams of a Final Theory, uh, mm -hmm. which is talks about, you know, ideas of the final theory and once you have the final theory it's basically at the root of everything and you could say that's where everything comes from so all of the things that we look at when we look at the world we have the world of biology we have you know economics physics and things like that you imagine that as being like a tree with, with like spreading mm -hmm. branches but at the bottom there's like a single point you know, oh, a tree is not a great thing because it's like it's got roots. But just imagine it's starting from like a single point. And on that night, the vision that I had was that it's not like that. You cannot reduce everything down to one thing. All of these things that I was thinking of as being like tertiary branches are all actually looping back into each other. And so... I mean, there has been like uh, some depictions of these loops. There is the snake that eats its own tail. I think it's called the Ouroboros. The Ouroboros. Actually, that was one of the 
with the, one of the metaphors that Barela and Maturana used uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for the autopoiesis theory. I yeah. see, I see. So it wasn't even the Ouroboros, because the Ouroboros mm -hmm. is like one thing causing itself. You can still mm -hmm. kind of grasp it. The vision I had was a whole sea of tangled snakes. And each of those mm -hmm. snakes could be something like, a, something could be religion, another could be sociology, another could be mm -hmm. physics, another could be math. And they were all eating each other's tails. And there was mm -hmm. no point at which you could go into that tangled mess, find one snake that's at the beginning, and pull that thing mm -hmm. up and have everything dangled from that. It wasn't that. It was yeah. all irreducibly, complicatedly just feeding into itself mm -hmm. in, in a loop. And yeah, so <laughs> I was like, wow, that, yeah, it feels like my mind is kind of like trying to fathom things in a way that the universe really is not that way. And so after mm -hmm. I had that kind of vision, I actually had it tattooed on my arm. Oh, yeah. cool. It's like a <laughs> bunch of snakes eating each other's tails. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, the, um, that's very cool because yeah. it's kind of the tension against your training as a physicist uh, show, showed up in this kind of vision that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... I think sometimes, um, like there's a um, there's a documentary about Barella, where he speaks about his theories, not only autopoiesis but also emergent phenomena, mm -hmm. and also about how he, in the late stage of his life, he was fighting against cancer. Mm -hmm. He also did a lot of meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, he got very good training. Uh, in meditation with some like I, I don't know like the ranks or whatever of the monks and people that do that but like he got train proper training of meditation so when he was apparently very very sick and almost dying in the hospital well at the end he died but this time he didn't die he he could perceive his mind going to different layers mm -hmm. and like getting to the, a very core primitive con consciousness level that he hadn't seen before mm. and to me that also speaks about what you're saying like this entanglement of cycles like it is not that you that there's just one cycle yeah like a multiple there are multiple paths always happening mm. all the time so then sometimes you some of them are more prominent than others and especially in the mind i think we all the time are in some sort of loop, but we can access different ones. And uh, I mean, there's no theory for this, but I'm I'm starting to to do some very basic toy models about this. And I mean, I, I'll let, let you know if anything interesting comes out of it. But I think one of the one of the reasons that biology, oh. Here's the other thing about biology and relates back to everything we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. We have not been able to create biology in new life forms in the lab because we have been focused, as I said, in DNA and all that. Like Craig Mentor and other people have mixed pieces of other cells, but pre-existing cells and putting together and make a new life form. Mm -hmm. I don't consider that uh, creating uh, life. Um, but the point about creating life is to make at least two cycles 
and that's very hard. One cycle is a system that self-sustains it's itself, right? Mm -hmm. But that that wouldn't evolve, that wouldn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. So then you need another cycle, which is the life the life cycle. Mm -hmm. So once you get the life cycle, then you create life. So I think that's part of the problem that we've had in trying to create life. And I think the the solution um, might be as simple as just forgetting everything about we know about <laughs> like DNA and proteins and things, and just try to create a system that could close this loop. Yeah. yeah. And once you have that loop, then create the, the the next loop. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm very skeptical about the field that is called astrobiology, because right now astrobiology is trying to find the life we know elsewhere mm -hmm. and then they they talk about habi ha habitable zones like uh, planets that are similar distance to their mm -hmm. star than we are from the sun and that have water and that. so again they're focusing on this material yeah, properties yeah. these entities yeah and believe it or not some of the uh, missions that nasa is planning and I say believe it or not, because maybe this will sound ridiculous to you, but they're trying to send probes that try to that they're going to try to sequence DNA in other planets. Mm. To me, that's absolutely wrong. Or do you want to sequence <laughs> like this DNA that's in like carbon-based life forms? Uh, yeah, they're just trying to find DNA elsewhere, right? Yeah, and they say if we find DNA, it definitely means that there's life. Yeah, and I say. I, I don't think that's the case. And so yeah. I think a fundamental problem in measuring a self-sustaining system is that in order to measure, and this is a huge topic of discussion for another day, but the act of measurement is also an interaction yeah. that will change the system, but that interaction is necessarily, like it has a material basis, right? Mm -hmm. But if we don't actually know what's, so because of that, I'm saying that we also care about the material basis of things, but the, the material basis is not fundamental. Yeah. But actually to measure it, you do care about them. So uh, because we don't know how is the life elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there's life in somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like it is to me hard to imagine a lifeless universe mm -hmm. besides the earth. But in order to measure it, you would need some pre previous knowledge about what what is it that you're measuring mm -hmm. and i don't think we would need to measure dna or proteins or things that we know of the life here mm -hmm. it'll be something different so yeah. to me it'll, uh, the best device to detect life is some device that measures anything that is there but not just the things but the behavior of the things yeah. so once from the behavior you reconstruct a system or you infer that there's a system that is self-sustaining mm -hmm. and it propagates th through time in through these cycles then you say okay probably here's life and then you start if you want to take it apart and break it mm -hmm. like we break cells to do molecular biology mm -hmm. then you can do that but to me the fundamental part yeah. is seeing the dynamics and seeing if there's any cycle of this type. yeah that's interesting you know when i was in okay, undergrad it's, it's gonna oh, be make, like, noon What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so just, you gotta, you gotta just to keep track of time. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, but let's talk about a little bit more. Okay, okay, okay. 
So uh, when I was an undergrad, I read this book called The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. And there was a chapter in which he asked this same question. It's like, hey, if you want to look for life in other planets, we need to have a definition for what life is. And if you look through your biology textbooks, it's not very clean. Like, even when I went to school, what is a living thing was like a list of different things. It like it breeds, eats, reproduces, blah, 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 mm -hmm. things like that. So it wasn't a compact, elegant definition. It was a bunch of properties. And sometimes you find things that have those properties that are not living. And then you sometimes find things that don't have a bunch of those properties, like a virus. And then, but it's like, you know, so, so he was like, we need to, we need to really refine what we mean by what is life. And so his idea was to break it down to like some like really fundamental principles. He was like, um, if you have something that can make copies of itself with slight alterations, and then they fight it out, and then there's some kind of natural selection, then a, I would call that uh, life. And he said that, okay, so according to this definition of virus is a living thing. And he said that, but look, there are other things that we don't traditionally consider in the domain of biology that, like, for example, um, ideologies or literature or music or an idea that creates copies of itself in different people's minds and the best version, like, you know, dominates. Um, so he mm -hmm. called these like memes. He said, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so that's where the idea of memes comes from. And he said, according to his definition, those are living things in their own right. And uh, so I've been kind of really interested. I became really interested in this, like what seemed like a very whole new way of thinking about what life is. And what you're proposing seems like something similar but different in that rather than look at the specific things, you want to look for certain patterns. And so mm -hmm. my one of my questions to you would be, just as you know, Richard Dawkins said that if these are the principles, then you don't necessarily need to have it existing on a hardware of biology. You can find it in the hardware mm -hmm. of culture. And yeah. so if you talk about like, um, you know, cycles like this, then maybe would you be expecting it to find it or create it in something that's not traditionally like the substrate of biology, like chemicals? Maybe it's running mm -hmm. on a computer or it's, I don't know, it's something else that uh, maybe Absolutely. Like a, yeah so that that, yeah. that would be life for you yeah yeah mm -hmm. but to me there there's i've been mentioning again again two cycles mm -hmm. one is the cycle of self-sustaining a system mm -hmm. like a cell let's say the other cycle is imposed on this cycle yeah. which is the life cycle yeah. so making a new of that same system yeah so to me these two cycles are fundamental and they're both closed and they're both causal cycles mm -hmm causal closure of, of, of these cycles. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's a very uh, basic working definition for life. Yeah. And then on top of that, you can have evolution, which evolution is not equal, does not equal life, right? Evolution is something else uh, that changes the properties of life. Mm -hmm. So then on top of that, you can have, okay, this change, these cycles change over time, and then some cycles are better at reproducing and so on and so forth. So in that sense, yeah, I guess I will agree with Dawkins, which I usually don't, yeah. <laughs> because I think uh, he's one of the uh, the most uh, clear examples of the reductionist mm -hmm. uh, mind in biology. Uh, I mean, which is not necessarily bad. Like, we also need reductionism, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of people think that when we talk about this, we're just 
disregarding everything else that happens in regular biology, but no, no. Mm -hmm. We also need the reductionism, and there's very good reductionism, and it has taken us a long way in many areas, including medicine, like vaccines and things like that, are a very reductionism way to do effective things. Um, so, in fact, yeah, I would say that um, reductionism is equals technology in a sense mm. um and because when you design a, a spacecraft or a rocket you need to know all the mechanisms and all the mechanisms are linear so that you can actually know what's happening and what will happen um in an organism you can't so in in that sense to me biology is kind of the the opposite of technology mm. in in this sense um but just to say that it is valuable, we need the reductionism perspective to understand so many things and to do many things, especially to do things. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is that um, once you start to to work in, in this framework, let's say in, in the dual cycle framework that I proposed, then you will find things that might... Uh, might uh, be defined with within this framework that you might not think that they're alive things in cultural aspects i think there are many good examples of a let's say mm, life-like behaviors mm -hmm. that are not really organisms mm -hmm. but uh cul cultural norms and things like that mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i think that's part of the fascinating thing about about focusing on these behaviors that you will find that the world is more interesting than we think it is in in many ways um and that's also the other reason and maybe now it's clear hopefully th that that i was saying that biology is more general than physics is that if you understand a cycle then you understand a line mm -hmm. <laughs> and physics so far is a line and, and biology is just closing that line to make a cycle, <laughs> but you still need yeah. the understanding of the line. Yeah. Like you contained the, the, the knowledge to understand a line to make a cycle. And actually that's kind of the phase transition. Now you have something bigger. Um, final thing to say about this is that one of the, one of the fascinating consequences of thinking about cycles in biology is that uh, time becomes a very strange thing. Mm. Um, you were you just brought up a book by Steven Weinberg about the theories, uh, grand theories of everything or something like that. Um, I've been very interested in the work of Stephen Wolfram, as I mentioned earlier, a very very interesting physicist and entrepreneur, and he also has come up with uh, with some with a big theory that he calls Wolfram physics. Mm -hmm. and yeah, of, has, course. of course, <laughs> he is right? so full of himself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah. he's a very interesting person yeah. he no one can deny that he's yeah, brilliant yeah. in in many ways yeah. anyways mm -hmm. in this theory that he has mm -hmm. you start with very fundamental very basic pieces of um of um of causal loops mm -hmm. or chains or whatever uh, i don't remember how they call them but it's just a basic building block then that expands and then makes a huge network mm -hmm. of causal things. Well, the thing that they've been missing is that all of the causal paths are paths. They're always moving forward. So then they have, like, a, you can draw a horizon of causal events, but it's, again, linear. 
no matter how complicated the whole thing becomes, mm -hmm. you can always trace back mm -hmm. on a line. And they don't allow for loops to happen. So to me, again, even though they claim that this could explain everything, obviously, as uh, usually they do, or Wolfram does, um, to me, again, it's a lifeless um, theory because it doesn't allow for cycles which are fundamental in biology. Um, and the strange thing about that is that in physics, uh, a lot of people, even like just non-scientists and and just the, the common people fantasize about time travel mm. and time travel is only allowed in the physical world in the physical theories if you allow these cycles to occur so it ha has always been seen as a forbidden thing it's like a, oh no that's super weird you cannot time travel but in biology we always time travel like we always are living in this cycle where there's no time like you <laughs> like you literally are time traveling all the time, like every living system, every single cell of yours and the biochemistry is always in an endless loop. And biology cannot stop, right? Biology, any living system, even like the dormant spores of microbes and other forms of dormancy, there's always something that needs to happen. Very little even to monitor the external conditions so that then when just good time the spore uh, sporulates and then uh, uh, well germinates sorry and then regenerates the cell in biology there's always this this time going on so then to me that's a fundamentally different time than the time we think in physics because in physics time really is kind of a dimension uh, like a, a dimension in a state space in a sense so then you're just tracing where in this dimension are you and that trace is kind of the time right in biology there's not such a trace there's no like a fixed dimension of time like everything is always so dynamic and time expands and time contracts and we all experience this in our normal lives right when you're enjoying yourself doing something let's say playing music if you like playing music as a hobby time expands it mm -hmm. you so suddenly realize that you've been playing for four hours without really actually realizing it versus if you're in a very boring class uh, that you don't like then you th this one hour class it feels like 10 hours because it's just so boring to you so we do have this very fundamental intuitive uh, notion of time being totally different than the physical time mm -hmm. yet we think that time that we've defined in the equations yeah. in these frameworks is the fundamental yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so that's that's the mm -hmm. i guess one of the final comments and implications of this thinking about cycles instead of thinking about lines yeah yeah um wow okay cool. so we are and i don't know if you have our... any final comments no 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 <laughs> i, I kind of went back through our list of topics and i feel like we uh um, pretty much covered all the things that uh, we wanted to talk about. I also wanted to keep it under two hours, but here we are. <laughs> um, you see, time just yeah, <laughs> just expands. Yeah, but um, yeah, thanks a lot for. I feel like it's kind of hard for you to present these ideas because, like, they're like kind of abstract. We're not used to thinking about it at at those levels. But I think you like you real did a really pretty good job and i'm curious about what your experience is going to be in your scientific career trying to push for these ideas more and 
what kinds of response you're going to get from the scientific community around you (laughs) and uh you know to even understand what you're talking about like takes like quite a bit of digesting and then there could be other people who are like a little bit more vested in the ways that they think and the kinds of pushbacks i I wonder what it like kind of looks like you're not yeah i've already experienced this a lot of time but the thing is that i also do reductionist science and like all of my papers are just mm-hmm. classic normal microbiology papers evolution so i'll also keep doing that type of science so yeah. in a sense it's not that i'm just against all of that and i I also mentioned that i think it is very important to do reductionist science mm-hmm. so i'm kind of gonna try to do both yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. in a sense uh just understanding both sides is is better than being married to just yeah. one and being blind to the others of course yeah and as you keep doing the reductionist science well people will be like oh yeah this guy probably knows what he's talking about so we will we will humor you we will take you seriously what yeah. do you have so you might be able yeah. to create a better like gateway for yeah. people to listen to some of these other ideas um mm-hmm. so yeah so it was like really interesting talking to you i can't really believe that we went over all of this a lot of these subtle and interesting ideas in this span of time but uh do you have any like closing thoughts no not for now yeah. no thanks again for for engaging also because sometimes it's the hard part is to actually engage in yeah. these ideas it's easy to just say no yeah, or yeah. Re- reject something right away yeah uh but uh i think even when we disagreed we had good ways of yeah 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 of talking through through these things yeah. and trying to understand each other. Yeah. So I think that's that's the most yeah, important thing. Absolutely. Also, Thanks. the Thanks other again. clear idea that I got is that I'm just glimpsing the tip of the iceberg that's your mind. <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's a lot of this, like a huge museum of many other things going on there. So hopefully some point in the future, we'll get to talk uh, about like other things that are not this and just, you know. Yeah, I hope... Uh, I didn't say too many or outrageous things. No, no, no. I think it, I think it's cool that we have this discussion because it's it feels like um, it, it's kind of like you introduced me to like a kind of like a new idea or like a new paradigm of thinking about things, which I don't know. You know, like I have this conversation and the exact details of the things that we talked about. Maybe I'll forget in a couple of days. Mm. But there's something about the way of thinking that I'm pretty sure like percolates somewhere. And someday I'll be like, hang on a sec. I think I remember Mm -hmm. like, what was this thing? (laughs) We talked about something like that. So there might be something there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. right, Take take care. care. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with Pedro and me today in the Room of Lives. In the next conversation, I plan for us to meet Dr. Jose Alvarado, a biophysicist at the University of Texas at Austin. At a recent talk in the physics department, Jose said something similar to Pedro, that reductionist theories are not working that well in biology. I was intrigued. So when I interviewed Jose, I mentioned the kinds of things that Pedro had told me and got his responses to those. So hopefully you'll find some relevance across this conversation and the next. But remember always that hanging out at the Room of Lives is always a completely voluntary act. I will never coerce you to hang out here.
Even when I try to do it subtly, such as telling you that you should be interested in the next conversation, you should realize that it's just a suggestion. And suggestions never exert any control over anyone, right? So the power still lies within you to walk out of the room of lives at any moment, and you should remember that always. If I ever become very popular and then become drunk with power and influence or whatever and like force everyone to listen to my podcast all the time and, and not, not only listen to my podcast all the time, but like admire it, then you should remember under such a situation that that's all bullshit and you still have every right to walk away from the room of lives no matter how much power I appear to have or however it seems that I will, you know, harm or threaten your existence if you choose to walk away from me. All right, take care. Until next time. La noche de moral andar Y sin más pecados que perdonar Que va a olvidar este invierno La cena te espera en mantel Pero tú no sabes si es hambre o sed que va a morder Este invierno de Navidad pero ves tu sombra al mirar atrás que va a alumbrar este invierno Yeah.